Good morning. Good morning. How is everyone doing? Yeah, I thought we were done with summer. I don't know about you. We got spoiled last week or two, a second week ago. It got down to like 109. <laughs> you know when it's when the high gets to be like 95, we break out the sweaters. <laughs> Winter's coming. All right, all right. Well, open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 42. We are continuing with our study of the life of Joseph. I don't know about you, but I love, I love little Joe. Let's uh, relate to him. Somebody asked me, please don't teach Job afterwards. <laughs> From Joe to Job. <laughs> I'm going to uh, read a very large portion of the chapter. I'm not sure how far I would get, but we'll see. You know. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? Then he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from there, so that we may live and not die. So the ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest any harm befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming for the famine in the land of Canaan, uh, was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the one in power over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to look at the nakedness of the land. Then they said to him, No, no my lord, but, but your servants have, have come to buy food. We, we are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. And he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the nakedness of our land. So they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. And Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. He's like a communist guy, right? Doesn't want to, <laughs> he just wants to interrogate you and not listen to your answer. It is as I said, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. Then he put them together all together in prison for three days. And Joseph said to them on the third day, 
do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go, bring grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest son to me, so that your words may be proven true, and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, Surely we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, yet we would not listen to him. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered and said, Didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, yet you would not listen? So also his blood, behold, it is required of us. Now, they did not know that Joseph was listening, for there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them and wept. Then he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound them before their eyes. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done to them, or for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and went from there. Then one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place. And he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to this? I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. Then they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country. So we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one of our father. One is no more. The youngest is with our father today in, in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest man. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for your family households and go but bring your youngest brother to me that i may know that you are not spies but honest men i will give your brother to you and you may trade in the land now it happened that they were emptying their sacks and behold every man's bundle of money was in his sack and they and their father saw the bundles of money and they feared and their father jacob said to them you have bereaved me of my children Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and you would take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death, thanks, Dad, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hand, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone remains. If harm should befall him on the journey on which you are going, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Wow. 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 This is a great chapter. There's a lot going on here, right? This, 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 is the, this is the turning point of the story. You remember, Joseph was sold into slavery, sold by his, his brothers, remember? They didn't call him brother. Here comes that dreamer. Dad's favorite. He's wearing dad's fancy coat he made him. Let's go see what happens. Remember, Joseph had dreams in chapter 37. His dreams were this. And he told his brothers, 
that you guys are going to go and bow down to me someday. Your sheaves stood up, and my sheaves stood up, and your sheaves bowed down to me. And not only that, I had a second dream. You guys and mom and dad, all of you came and bowed down. That was 22 years before. He's been away from home for over 20 years, right? God has, has led him through a lot of circumstances and trial, right? He, he has been faithful to God through those years. He served at Potiphar's house. Then Mrs. Potiphar wanted a piece of Joe, and Joe said no, and he got into trouble. And then he went to prison, remember? And he's in prison, and he's there for, for a while, and then the cupbearer and the baker the two high officials of Pharaoh said, hey, we have dreams and we don't know how to interpret. And Joe said, hey, God can interpret dreams. And he told them what's going to happen. Baker, you're out. Cupbearer, you're restored. And then he got forgotten. And he lived and languished in prison for a few more years. And then Pharaoh had his dreams. And they brought Joseph. And Joseph became basically second in command under Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, I'm going to give you all control of everything. I'm still Pharaoh, but you're in charge. Why? Because your dreams were accurate. Because they're going to live in a time when there was seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. The years of plenty have gone by. They've stored up enough grain. Now this is two years into the famine, because we know this later on, because when his dad finally comes, he says, hey, God, come on, we still have five more years of this stuff, right? So Joseph, last chapter, Joseph said, he has a son named Manasseh who's born. And Manasseh is a play on words that means to forget. And he says, God has made me forget. Look at, verse, look at the last chapter, just previous chapter. It's on the screen. Too bad you can't like swipe and has, has the sound of a page turning. You know? Joseph said, God has made me forget all my trouble and the work can be in association with my father. God has made me forget all that happened back home. Some people say, why didn't you just go back home? You, okay, you've gotten power. You could have said, hey, hey, Pharaoh, can I go take a week vacation or two or three or whatever, a month off and, and visit my family? Joe is moving forward with his, his life, right? He is forgotten. He's moved on. And the famine comes. Meanwhile, back home, we read, first of all, there's a crisis that comes, right? And here's the thing. I have to say, let me just back up here. God's in the business of changing lives, amen? amen. This whole story of Joseph, the whole story of Joseph is more than Joseph. The whole story of Joseph is a story of transformation. It's a story, and it fits within the children of Israel, how God can take anyone and transform them. We know that Judah is going to be the leader of Israel, his tribe is going to be leader. Out of Judah will come the Messiah. But we know right now, Judah is a turkey. You look at chapter 38. He's, a, he's, a, he's, he's selfish. He's into himself. And he has a kid with his daughter-in-law because his daughter-in-law lost his son and he wouldn't give his other son. And it's a big mess. And Judah is going to become... And then the brothers, they're going to become the, the, the Israel? The tribes of Israel are going to come after these guys? How is that going to work out? God is in the work of, of changing lives. And some people think 
People can't change. You're right. People can't change themselves. We can become moralistic. We become religious. We ultimately, true change only comes through God. Only God can change a person. I, I, God, God is in the story of, or in the, in the, in the, in the, in the not the story, the, the business of, of transformation. In this story, as the Israelites may have heard this for the first time, they're wondering, is there any hope for us? Can God take hardened men, honest men, I like to say that word in quote, we're honest men. No, you're not. You've been lying for 20 years. And can he make them honest men? God can, amen? This is a story of, of reconciliation. This is a story of restoration. And there has to be a reason for the, the sons to go to Egypt, right? And God has to allow this crisis in, in play. Look what it says in verse 1. I love this verse verse. Jacob, said, Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. The insinuation is it wasn't just Jacob. They all knew that grain was in Egypt. They need food, right? They don't have a Costco down the street. They have to go and get grain from somebody and have enough to last for a while. The, the sons also knew there was grain. And, and Joke, Jacob said in verse 1, Why are you staring at one another? Why are you staring? Hey, there's grain in Egypt. Now you know among the brothers, two subjects were off, were off, 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 off not off balance, but off topic. They brought up, somebody brought up Joseph. Hey, we're sticking to our story, guys, right? They had they, no, no doubt Jacob would have, would have still would have times where he'd break away and grieve. How, how could he not? He's still grieving. But the last time you hear of Egypt, from the brothers' perspective, is when those slave traders, the Midianites, were making off, where they sold Joseph and they're headed down to Egypt. Why are you staring at one another? Their stares are speaking volumes. They're looking at one another. Their mouths are shut, but their eyes and their body language say everything. Sometimes God has to lie. See, there was, there was certain subjects that, 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 that never be brought up and you avoid it, you kind of neglect it, but you have to face it sometimes. And sometimes God has to bring a crisis of a, a something that, that causes you. And here's the thing. They don't want to go talk. They don't want to talk about Egypt. They don't even want to go, go to Egypt, but they have to go to Egypt because Egypt is where the food is. They think, they hope that Joseph is not going to see them. How could Joseph find them? Maybe he's dead. We don't know where he's at. So, okay, we'll go to Egypt. But God is doing something behind the scenes. Now, Jacob doesn't trust the brothers. You get that from later on. Look at what he says. Um, excuse me. He says in verse, um, verse 4, Jacob does not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with him. Remember, Jacob really wanted to marry Rachel. Remember Rachel? <laughs> And Uncle Laban did a fast one and stuck in Leah. And he's like, I never loved Leah. I never wanted Leah. I wanted Rachel. That was my love. And his, the two boys were Joseph and Benjamin. Benjamin, Rachel died when she was giving birth. To Jacob, it was Joseph and Benjamin because he was still in love with Rachel. Now, these are middle-aged men at the time. 
These aren't youngsters. They're grown men with families. And you get the sense that there's still the family dynamics. You know, time doesn't necessarily change all or heal all ones, you know? It just makes us... Well, Jacob doesn't trust his sons. Hey, I'm not sending Benjamin with you guys. He says, look at verse 4, lest any harm befall. One way you can travel, in case there's an accident happens to him on the way. Because I know that certain people that travel with you, my other sons, wind up dead or missing. Jacob is still hurting. And of course, from their perspective, all they know, there's where the food is. Jacob suspects, perhaps, trustworthy, but he doesn't know the details of what really happened. The brothers, it's the hidden secret that they have been hiding for all these years. And God's going to move situations and circumstances to now to bring it to the surface. And the thing you've tried to avoid for so long is now going to confront you. Oh, you can only sweep things under the rug for so long. God has to bring restoration to this family because Egypt has the grain. Israel has to survive as a family. And somehow he has to get those Israelis, sons of Jacob, to Egypt to survive and make them into a nation. But right now there's issues going on, right? You can't move forward in relationships if there's... Stuff between you, right? Let's go to verse 6. And here we're going to see a a confrontation. Starting in verse 6. Now Joseph was the one in power over the land. And I imagine since he's over all the land, they probably had grain holding stations throughout the country. But Joseph just so happened to be at the one that the brothers just so happened to come to. Joseph wakes up, his day's normal, he's overseeing things. The Egyptians are, the Egyptians are coming to buy grain, and people from other countries are all lining up. Hey, you got food, I'm buying. And who should come? But his brothers. Remember, he hasn't seen them in 22 years. 20 some odd years. Last time he was, he was one of them. Hebrew, he was 17. He probably had a little beard going on. Probably longer hair. But now, Joseph is dressed like an Egyptian. Maybe he walks like an Egyptian. <laughs> I just dated myself there. <laughs> Suddenly... <laughs> He has Egyptians shave their heads. They shaved their their all their their facial all their hair was gone, was shaved. Hebrews, they kept it, you know. So he's like an Egyptian. He's got the Egyptian garb, he's got medallions, he's got the whole and then he's talking to them through an interpreter. So they're not expect they're coming and they bow down to him and they Oh, suddenly. Wait, you guys are bowing down to me? Hmm, dreams really do come true, right? Everything that God had told, uh, had told through those dreams that Joseph would be, he, no one really understood what that looked like or what really, how that would work out. It was forgotten by Joe. In fact, he says this, look at verse, 
He recognized them. Remember, look at verse 9. He remembered the dreams. The last time he sees them was, was when they faced him and they said, here comes that dreamer, let's put him away. Those dreams have been forgotten. But, but God never forgot those dreams. In fact, all of Joe's life and what he's gone through through these last 20 years has been preparation to fulfill those dreams because God had something greater in store he wanted to do. See, sometimes God does it. He'll just drop a little, I'm going to have you do this, and that might be years, and you forget, and God brings it to pass. You're like, I didn't see that coming. But now it's time. The brothers are there. Joseph speaks harshly with them. You're spies. Some people say, why are you so... Hey, you could have said, hey guys, it's me. Right? How many guys would have done that? Okay, okay. Honesty is good. I like that. I like that. I, I, I might have done that. I, I probably would think, what's going on with family? My family's here. But Joe has to play it cool. He's got he's to see, are these the same guys? Is their heart the same? They just have grayer hair and wrinkly skin and all that kind of stuff. But is there, are they the same men? Am, am I going to put myself there? See, you need to be quick to forgive, but you need to be cautious to trust. Joe is quick to forgive. He's ready, but he's got to be cautious. He's got to put him through tests. That's why he speaks harshly. You're spies. Interesting, the last time they see him, they accuse him. Hey, there's, this, there's that dreamer. He's going to come and check up on us. It doesn't say that literally in the text, but the attitude is they don't trust him because he, he told on them before. He, he, did a, he gave a bad report to them back in 37, chapter 37. Now, Joe comes back in 37. Here comes that dreamer, and he's probably spying on us. Now Joe's kind of turning the tables on them. You guys are spies. No, we're honest men. <laughs> I, just, I just have to laugh. We're not spies. We're come to buy food. Can you just let us buy food and go home? Joe said, no, I'm going to test you. Look at verse 14. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your younger brother comes here. Now, he's going to be putting them to a test to find out where have they changed. Has anything happened? Do, what, what's different about them? I, and, and I want to see my brother, Benjamin. Look what he says, first of all. He says, send one of you. Nine of you guys stay here, and one of you guys go back. Now, the journey to Egypt, and we're, if we're thinking that Jacob still live in, uh, say, Hebron, it's about 230 miles, let's say. It's like three, let's just say it's three weeks. Okay. So you can send one guy three weeks, and then come back. But the meanwhile, you know, the famine's still going on. And if one brother goes back and, and he says, Dad, they're all gone, what's going to happen to Jacob, right? 
look what, he's, look what he does here. He puts them in prison. He put them all in prison for three days. He, had his, he probably spent three years in prison. 20 years, literally, in, in, the, in the prison away from home. He's giving them a little bit of a taste of what he went through. Right? See, sometimes you don't understand someone else's pain until you actually go through it through yourself. Right? See, for you to have compassion on someone, some people, you know, they don't have compassion on anyone because they've never experienced. But when you go through that, you know, Paul says in Corinthians, hey, some of you guys can comfort others because you got comforted by God through what you went through. And they're getting a little bit of taste. And they're sitting in jail for three. They don't know it's going to be only three days. And they're sitting there and they're confronted with a little hardship here, with a little mistreatment, with a little accusation, things that they dished out to Joseph many years ago. I think God is getting slowly getting their attention, isn't he? I think sometimes God has to do that. God, has to, God is at work, and He's slowly beginning to change things so that He can resolve and heal this relationship because that relationship needs to be healed. But it has to be healed by having trust reestablished. And when relationships often break, it's because trust has been broken. You see this in marriages. You see this in all kinds of family relationships. And again, forgiveness can be quick, but trust, sometimes it takes a while to reestablish, Right? God is trying to bring reconciliation. I mean, God is the God who reconciles people together. If there's anything that, if you want to know what the story of the Scripture is, it's reconciliation. It's redemption of man and reconciliation. From chapter 3 of Genesis, when the fall came, God's whole plan is to try to restore and reconcile God to man. Amen? God doesn't really... I'm going to say this, I'm going to be real careful... God doesn't really care how big our church gets or how many accomplishments we do in life. If we start businesses or we get doctorates or we write books, He doesn't care about all that, but He cares about your relationships with people. You can have the biggest corporations and the biggest success in the world's eyes, but if you don't spend time, and I'm talking about, if we don't spend time working on relationships, it means nothing. That's priority number one in God's life. Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's easy to avoid the healing. Of, it's easy to get busy with project, isn't it? It's hard to now confront reestablishing relationships. Now, some relationships are, are toxic and you know, all that kind of stuff, but... but some relationships, of course, are challenging, but so much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Amen? And if God is going to use Israel as a light to the world, those people, the Israelites, who are going to get the, the prophets and the writings and on the Messiah... They're going to be the, the, the example of what God can do in healing relationships. 
Three days they spend in prison. Three days in solitude. That can do a lot to you, can it? Three days of just now, you're, now you're forced to sit and think, why, why are we here? Why am I going through this? Perhaps God is trying to get my attention. And I've been stubborn. I have suppressed the Holy Spirit for so long and pushed Him down that I've seared my conscience. But now God has turned up the heat, so to speak, because He wants me to face the issue at hand, my sin. That's hard, right? That's like going into surgery and not getting anesthetic. Ooh, you feel it, right? I don't know what kind of conversations had in those three days, but no doubt, well, we, do, we get a glimpse of one of them. Joseph comes back, look at verse 18. He says, listen, uh, do this and live. Verse 19 if you're honest, men, how about this? One of you guys stay, and the rest of you go. Now, this is part of the test. The test isn't just bringing Benjamin back. Here's the test. Will these guys be willing to leave one of their brothers in the prison? By the way, it's the same word that's used for the pit that Joseph is thrown into. Will they be willing to leave one of their brothers And ignore him like they did to Joseph. Will they repeat the same thing? I mean, if you say, I'm sorry, but you keep doing the same thing, okay, that means nothing, right? So he's got to see, will they repeat the same thing? Will they come back? Or will they say, Dad, sorry, Simeon got attacked by a lion. You know, Egypt's a different country, you know, it's no, will they will they come back for him? That's the test. And now we get to the confession. Because this is this verse, verse twenty one, and I'm obviously not gonna make it to the end of the chapter. <laughs> this is it. The boys are in their jail cell and they're talking or they're, they're confined. They haven't been released quite yet. Joe has gone to them, verse 41, and this is the key. Then they said to one another, surely we are guilty concerning our what? You know, it's the first time they called Joseph their brother. They said, Dad, look at this garment to see if it's your Sons or not, not to see if it's our brothers. Okay, there's a little hint there. They called me brother? Surely we are what? Guilty. Just say, surely we are what? Okay, that's huge. That's huge. We are guilty. Not, well, we were loved less by our dad, and so we kind of had this dad complex around, you know, rejection of our father, you know, and so that caused us to act in a certain way. No, no, no. We are guilty. People don't like that word today, do they? You shouldn't feel guilty. The devil's all about that. You shouldn't feel, no, guilty is a good thing. I'm going to say it. Guilty is a good thing. 
Godly guilt, not false guilt, but godly guilt is necessary in the transformation of a person. If a person doesn't come to the place where they say, I am guilty, be merciful to me, the sinner, then there's no possibility of actual transformation or conversion. No doubt for 20 years, their conscience has been bothering them. You know what the conscience is, right? It's that, it's that inward uh, umpire. <laughs> it says, oh, that was wrong. You know, that's wrong. No doubt their conscience bothered them. As they went through the years, they heard their dad escape into the back room and weep and cry. And they looked at one another and they realized after time, this is not helping things out. What we did was wrong. This is the first time you hear them say anything that's truthful. Honesty. Honesty began right here with this statement. We are honest men. We are guilty. God brought them to this place of confession. The psalmist, what Brother Matthew read, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning, through my groaning all, all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. They had lived 22 years under the weight of this guilt, afraid to bring things up to Dad, afraid to tell him the truth, try to hide and bury it, ignore it. But now they're faced, and now they're talking among themselves. They're not at home, so nobody's listening. So now they're, they're kind of letting their guard down. And they're finally for once being honest. You can't change. You can't come to Christ if you're not honest. You come to Christ because you say, I am a sinner, Lord. I am guilty. My response is my sin, not my parents' sin. My sin. I'm guilty. Whatever happened to sin in today's world? Anyway, it's still around. It's just known by different names, but Scripture hasn't changed. And somehow God has woken their conscience. Somehow God has brought them to the place where they're finally being honest, and they make true confession. They have sorrow, godly sorrow. Second Corinthians 7 Go, go there real fast. Oh, boy, I'm going to run out of time. Shoot. Oh, boy. That's okay. We'll just pick up next time. You guys, you guys, is God speaking to anyone here? Okay. Look, look at this. Look, 2 Corinthians 7. Um, and verse... verse um, Verse 7, I'm going to jump right in. And not only by his coming, this is talking about the coming of, of, of Titus, but also by the comfort with which he co- was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Am I in the right place? Yeah. For Here it is, verse 8. For I caused you sorrow. See, he rebuked them in their, in their previous letter. I challenged you. I confronted you with your sin. I I don't regret it. Though I did regret it because he had this compassion, but he realized 
For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, for, though for only for a while. I now rejoice, verse, now, verse 9, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to what? There it is. There has to be a place where, where that, there's, the guilt isn't just guilt, it's a guilt that leads to a godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. That's a good thing. That's good. That, the role of guilt is good in that sense if it leads to confession and a changed heart. For you were made to have godly sorrow so that you might not suffer loss of anything through us. For godly sorrow produces repentance without regret. I think that's what the brothers are experiencing here. This godly sorrow. They're finally being honest. Go back to Genesis. Surely we are guilty of our brother. We saw the distress. So the word distress is like a confined in a tight place. We saw the distress, and it's used for, for this person who's just, it's just it's, it's, he's in a pit. He's crying out. Guys, don't do this, please. He's sobbing. Please, brothers, my family, don't reject me like this. And they said, but we, he begged us, and we would not listen. We did this. Talk to the hand. No, I don't want to hear. I don't, we, we closed our heart. We refused our own brother. Though we didn't call him our brother, we called him our dad's son, but we refused that. And now we can still, it was like it happened yesterday. God never allowed them to move on. It was as if it just happened yesterday and they're back in the moment and all of them are there and say, what have we done? We would not listen Therefore, this distress has come upon us. They're beginning to understand now. We've put him in this situation, and we're experiencing a little sliver, maybe. We don't know what he experienced, but other than what we heard and saw, and it's still ringing in our ears, and we can still hear. It's almost like, you remember Edgar Allan Poe, that, that the telltale, telltale heart? Remember in seventh grade, eighth grade, you read it? I think I remember part of it is like he kept hearing this heartbeat. You think he's in the other room? Realize it's his own heartbeat because he's the murderer. It's or or like Lady Macbeth who's trying to wash her hands right of the blood because she she had her husband killed become king. Remember that story? It's so long ago, right? You can't hide it. But now they're finally being honest, and now they're finally making confession. And that's what all this whole thing turns right here. Right here is where it turns. The confession of their sin. Now, they, when you go and confess, you are being honest before God. To, first of all, to, to confess means to see or to say the same thing as God. It means you're sitting as if you're sitting with God and say, I see what you see. When you confess, you're kind of doing that. You're finally admitting to what's actually happening. May God bring us all to the point of confession because it's there It's there where God can then do something with us. If we're hiding behind the bush like Adam and Eve, but if we say, God, that's where transformation comes play, takes place. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. They have a guilty conscience, but they're responding. And they know they deserve punishment. Look at verse 22. Reuben says, hey, listen, I told you not to do this, but listen, all this, 
is required of us. Now we're facing the consequences. What are they expecting? When you go and you're, you're avoiding confession and avoiding the truth, what are you expecting when you finally go and confess? Consequences, right? And here, they lay bare their soul in one sense. And this is the, and when you go, you're going at the mercy of the person and you're expecting the consequences. Now there's a twist in the story here. I don't have time to get into all of this. Can, we're going to have to continue next week. I got, let me finish, okay? There's a twist here because they're expecting. First of all, they don't know anyone's listening. Except God's there and Joseph's there. Joseph has to turn away. He says he turns away, he's weeping. He comes back to Moses. Because he, he doesn't want to do this. He's finally hearing that they're actually saying what we did was wrong to our brother. That begins some healing in him. They still have things to prove. But they begin healing. But later on, they go, and Job puts money back in their sacks. And look what it says at the, at the verse, verse 28. We'll end here. So he says to his brothers, My money has been returned. Behold, it's in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they were trembling, saying, What is this that God has done to us? You know, this is the first time the brothers mention God. This is the first time that God comes out of their mouth. They go from, here's that dreamer, your son, to our brother, to God. There's, God is doing something in their life. But what they're not expecting is the grace that Joe shows to them. He lets them go and gives them their money back, and it confuses them. Grace will do that, because when you go before God through Jesus Christ, and you say, God, I'm a sinner, and I need you, and I confess my sin and I am guilty, you lay before, exposed before a merciful God, a just God who is entitled to cast you into hell, but a merciful God who sent Jesus Christ to do something for that. And what you're not expecting is what you receive, is that's grace through Christ. This will change your life. This is like, you guys know the story of Les Miserables. Jean Valjean, who's a prisoner, and he's guilty, he stole a loaf of bread, and he's in there for a long time, and he gets out and he steals a priest's silver, and the priest says, hey, you forgot the rest of the stuff I gave you. That was grace. And his life was changed because he received grace. Grace is going to confuse these guys. Wait, I don't deserve this. You're right, you don't. You're guilty, and you should have been punished, but somebody else was punished in your place. When that finally connects, it changes your life. You're like, my life is forever changed because I should have been that man on the middle cross should have been me and you. In that late Miserable story, the other guy, Javert, maybe Javert, Javert, Javert. <laughs> He's the police, police guy, he used to work at the prison. And his whole life is hounding Jean Valjean because he didn't, he thinking he got off too easily. And Jean Valjean gives grace spares Javert's life. And Javert, who represents the law, he's legalistic, he's by the law, he's by the book, but he's given grace and he doesn't know what to do with it. 
He's like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, the older brother that was always faithful to dad, never left, and yet you're celebrating for my younger brother who wasted all this stuff and lived it up, and you're giving him grace? And I've been, I've been following it by the book? See, until you understand the grace of God, your life will never be changed. You'll be legalistic and dead in your sins. The law can't wash away your sins, but Jesus Christ can. Amen? It is the grace of God that changes lives, and it's the grace of God that will begin to change the brother, brothers here in the story of Joseph, and it's the grace of God that will change our lives. An innocent man was punished for our sin, for my sin. I look back at my life, and I regret things I did to people, things I said to people, how I treated people before I met my wife, and so I regret how sometimes how I... I regret how I train my wife sometimes, right? Well, I'm going way back now. I regret that. I look back. I wish I could go back in time. Heartbeat, I would have gone back in time and say, can I do it differently? Because I didn't understand the grace of God or the kindness of God. I was in sin, and God had allowed me to come to a place where I was a crisis moment where I said, I, 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 I'm guilty. I'm, I'm, I'm. And the Lord said, that's the right answer. Let me take you and begin changing your life. I might meet some of those people in heaven and say, have a reunion and say, I am so sorry for what I did or said to you, but I'm so grateful for the grace of God that has brought me this far. Let's praise the Lord for His grace. Lord, thank you for your kindness, for your grace, for your mercy, for the fact that you can transform anyone's life, even hardened people like Joseph's brothers and the rest of us, Lord. Your Son came to to give us life. And Lord, Your Word says that if we would just confess our sin, You're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some, Lord, may still have, they feel guilty of something that they repented of and confessed, but for some reason that guilt weighs heavily on them. And Lord, would You be gracious to that person, God? Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, but wants to know you, wants to confess their sin, to repent of their sin, and to receive the grace that was through Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that they would place their faith in you, and not in themselves, but in you, at your mercy. Because of what your son Jesus did on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would begin to restore relationships that are in this room. Families that are broken, mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister. Relationships, Lord, that that need to be repaired, Lord. Would you begin to bring the heart change that's necessary so that you're glorified, Lord. Help us to be humble, Lord. Help us to look to Jesus, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up? I got a little excited there. (laughs) How could you not be excited about God's grace? Amen. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. You want to sing a song?
How about Amazing Grace? Or whatever you decide. <laughs> mm, amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Buzz by, but now I see. Good to see everyone. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. My prayer for you in Jesus' name. You guys have a wonderful week. God bless you. Encourage one another. Love one another. We'll see you guys on Saturday.